Guardian Unlimited. Six Nations Rugby with Ian Payne. Well, hello once again. This is uh, Ian Payne. Welcome to the Six Nations show on Guardian Unlimited. And as we head into the second weekend of competition, we're here to answer all the big questions. Should it be Johnny or Danny at number 10? The coach still thinks Johnny. What must be going through Vincent Clerk's mind? A two-try hero against Scotland only to be dropped and then reinstated. Why did it take so long for Morrissey lookalike Frank Haddon to work out that Chris 100% kicking Patterson should be in the starting lineup? Is there any other coaching combination in world rugby as scary as Warren Gatland and Sean Edwards? And after their last few performances on French soil, is it really worth Ireland bothering to head off to Paris? All those questions, plus maybe the odd film or book review, are on the agenda as once again we like uh, a bit of a front row forward delve into the parts of rugby that perhaps we shouldn't. Right, time to introduce the guest. There's myself, Ian Payne, not a guest. First guest is a man who was likened by The Guardian's Martin Kellner in his review of Saturday's commentary match as one half of the commentary version of Steptoe and Son. Hello to The Observer's rugby correspondent, Eddie Butler. Morning, Eddie. Good morning, Ian. I take it I was senior. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He was talking about you and your BBC TV colleague, Brian Moore, who at one point I think you had to slap down, didn't you, because he was getting a bit previous and a bit overexcited. What happened? Yeah, I think it was. It was a steptoe type spat, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, he just wasn't looking at the pictures, for goodness sake. <laughs> you know, broadcasting discipline. Yeah, quite what right. Is that? What is that? I don't know. Uh, if, you are, um, if you are completely unaware as to who... Uh, Steptoe and Son are Harry H. Corbett and Wilfred Bramble were the uh, the seventies actors. And Wilfred 60s, Bram- I think. You know. Six, well, sixties, seventies. I just about remember it. But the black and white sixties, colour seventies. And Wilfred Bramble, the very old bloke who I just found out the other day, is very posh in real life. Yeah, he was. Uh, younger listeners, don't worry. Just just ask your parents <laughs> or, or Google it. Uh, next is a man who could be a spin doctor. In his recent blog, he argues that England losing was actually a good thing as England's young players will learn more in defeat than victory. From Guardian Unlimited, it's hello to Andy, Alistair Campbell's spinner, Bull. Now, it's a good name, Bull. How have you managed, <laughs> how have you managed to make that defeat into a victory? Yeah, if you listen carefully, you can actually hear the sound of me scraping the bottom of the barrel. Mm. But uh, my basic point is, young Ashton's there to bring on the young players, and in mm. five years' time... Cipriani's going to remember an awful lot more about that debut. He's probably going to learn a lot more from it too than he would have a 20-minute canter, you know. Nice easy run out at the end of an easy game. So. And is it time we leave off Ian Bullshaw? Should we leave him alone this week? Yeah, yeah, I think. I think. It's I time, think so. Don't you? Yeah. Okay. Finally, someone uh, who quite clearly has her feet on the ground. On our first podcast, some people who are not a million miles away said Scotland would cause an upset against France, but not Claire Tolley from the Guardian. Well done. Your predictions were the best of the lot. Thank you. Good. Um, and as always, we'd like to hear from you. Blogs. Guardian co.uk forward slash sport and we'll read out the best of them as we go through this short podcast uh, last but by no means least let me uh, introduce you to a former Ireland international Connor O'Shea delighted to have you on the programme Connor how are you feeling? Very well Ian and I was one of the ones who backed Scotland were you? <laughs> right okay what do the experts know eh? Um, are you backing Ireland to win in Paris? Uh, no no <coughs> um, you know, there's, Ian, there's obviously a, a lot going on which nobody except the people within the Irish camp know. It's, it's certainly not the Irish team of 12 months ago and the Italian performance, I mean, even Nick Mallet has come out and said that a, a decent team would have put 40 on them. Uh, there was a lot of space and Ireland did have opportunities, a bit like England, that they didn't finish off and if, if they had, it might have been a different story. But once they got dragged down into a dogfight, 
the energy from the team seems to have gone. The energy of you know Croke Park twelve months ago, if you think of that team versus the team that's playing now, it's uh, it's like two completely different sides, and they're going up against the French side, who uh, I'm sure Eddie more than anyone would love to have would have loved the way they played because it was the French of a decade and more ago. It was it was just breathtaking to watch the. They got a few lucky breaks in the game to score the tries, but the ambition and the width that they put on the ball, it was, it was like the French of old, and uh, I'm sure there'll, there'll be more of the same come Saturday. Um, Connor, why did Eddie O'Sullivan still pick the majority of the team that, that looked so out of sorts at the World Cup? Only he know that, and and you know anyone who's been involved in rugby, it's, the the toughest role of all is to be the the main man and the head coach because you, you live and die by your own sword, and you, you might as well go down if you're going to go down with you know following your own principles. So rather than pander to what everyone else thinks, you have to be very very almost stubborn in 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 the way you go about things. So I mean Eddie is absolutely right to do what he thinks is best on himself. Now we can all have opinion and. And from the outside, it always looks like a bit of freshening up, like a Jamie Heaslip, a young guy coming in, like Rob Carney, uh, that that will freshen it up. Um, easy for us to say, but I mean, uh, you know, it's Eddie O'Sullivan whose neck on the his neck is on the block, and and he is right to do what he believes is right, despite what everyone else may think. Eddie Butler, why do you think Eddie O'Sullivan is picking the same players? Because they're not winning, or oh, they're winning ugly. Well, it's always been the. Um the, the fear in Ireland that beneath the, uh, the top 25 players, you know, there, there isn't a great pool of talent. And, uh, and I think you, you, you have to select conservatively in Ireland because, you know, you just haven't got that many players in your, in your, in a, your, your gene pool of rugby players. Um, it, once you get jaded and once you get out of sorts, it is very difficult to do an about turn. And I, and I, and I think that that, is, that that was the great sporting miracle of England at the World Cup, that they, in, in, in defiance of all tradition, actually you know, did this about turn. Normally, once you're in a rut, you tend to stay there. And whatever Eddie O'Sullivan does in, in selection, it's not going to create a much better island squad. Um, I... Uh, I think it works the other way. It's quite easy to fall down very quickly. I thought Scotland were dreadful. Not to be able to start at Murrayfield mm. was, uh, was one of those just peering off the edge of the cliff and jumping. It's interesting though, isn't it, that um, Marc Lievremont seems to have sort of chosen his French team almost. He wants to try out players. His thing of saying that he dropped um, Vincent Clerc, initially at least, was because he was like, he knew what he could do. You know, he's seen what he could do against Scotland and therefore, you know, now he's picking other players because he wants to see how they're going to play. You could argue equally that it does give Ireland an opportunity if they can find it within themselves to um, find something, some little spark again. I, I, I think when you, when you look at that, though, and you, you look at... Lievermont was almost a calculated gamble because when you look through the whole spine of the team, he still had a massive amount of experience around that youth. And the youth that you're talking about won the Junior World Cup a couple of years ago. So the the coach knows the players, but he still had, and, you know, he dropped Vincent Clerc, but brought in uh, Orient Rougerie, who arguably a lot of people would have in most of their teams in international rugby. He still had Heymans, had Trai, had Marty, uh, he has Bonaire this week, Nale is an outstanding lock, uh, Elisalde at, at, at scrum half. So, it's the beauty of French rugby. They have players coming out of their of their ears. You look at any set You can say it on a podcast, Connor. It's not the BBC. You can say us. No ears, ears. Oh, okay. 
it's that Irish it's that Irish uh, <laughs> oh my god you better qualify that one <laughs> uh, the uh, but but you look at you, you go back to what Eddie said about Ireland the, the night before the Irish game in, against Italy an average age of 23 England Saxons team beat the a very experienced Ireland team by 31 points to 13 and how many players could actually step up out of that like Lievermont could do into their national side very very few so it, it is a difficult balance that has to be taken and I, I still think with Ireland that you look at the likes of a young Jamie Heaslip uh, who was up for world young player of the year a couple of years ago arguably should have been through quicker because it gives that kind of youthful enthusiasm that is that can energize the rest of the side I don't know what Eddie thinks but I mean they're the ones that you have to see coming through quickly yeah I think um if there's one specific thing you can point to, I think it's to say Dennis Leamy at number eight. I mean, he's, he's been out of sorts at number eight, but playing outstandingly well for Munster at six. Yeah. So I think that's a natural shift you can make. But it's, it's a, that's tinkering, really. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, as a general trend, Ireland seemed to be heading in the wrong direction. I've, Mark Lievermont, you know, he, he took that, I think Connor's right, the calculated gamble at Murrayfield. Well, he can afford to take another one now, can't he? He can take as many gambles as he wants on, on this sort of high. And it just seems... It, it, if you look at France immediately after the World Cup, they were in a state of acute depression. And the, the top 14 championship was miserable. The clubs all responded to the general air of, of woefulness in France. And Lievremont came in and, and had a great starting point. There was only one way to France, for France to go. And he picked youth and he picked inexperience. And he went for... A, just to put a bit of zest back into French rugby, and everybody has responded, as they have done in Wales, to Warren Gatland, you know, the, the crazy two of Gatland and Edwards. God, they've invigorated <laughs> Wales. And it shows what can be done, which means, which means that Frank Haddon and Eddie O'Sullivan are in a particularly vulnerable position now because things are happening elsewhere with a real kickstart. And just to show faith and keep going through the old systems... It looks as if that, that might not be the way. But the confusing thing about this campaign for Ireland, and I'd be interested to hear what Connor thinks about it, is that the IRFU identified the need for a team manager and a backs coach after the World Cup, and that was the whole conclusion of the Genesis report. They said that's what we need to invigorate this team again. But then they say we're not going to make those appointments till after the Six Nations is over. I mean, that's kind of baffling. What are you saying? We're going to write off this Six Nations, or we're going to give Eddie O'Sullivan five more games to prove that he can do it on his own. Well, I think probably Eddie would say, Eddie would probably reaction to that would be, and I'm, I'm talking Eddie Butler, would be, I'd be even more <laughs> concerned if I was Eddie O'Sullivan because uh, it's, it's almost wishing to hang off and see, can he turn it around before they make the change, uh, before they impose what they want? And then the question would be, will they make even further changes? Um, mm. I mean, the, the most obvious uh, solution in terms of a backs coach is probably someone like Alan Gaffney who's worked with both Munster and Leinster with huge success, um, worked with Australia. He's done a great job at Saracens, and that time is coming, to, well, drawing to a, some sort of close, even though he'll be there in a temporary capacity from next year. Uh, that would be an obvious solution, but that's someone who's both a backs coach, backs coach and a head coach. Um, mm. So how would that work? And then, you know, I know from talking to a few of the guys back home that, uh, the sort of person that they would be looking at from a team manager point of view would be a Mick Galway type uh, who's been very successful down in Shannon in club rugby obviously an icon of Irish rugby and uh, and would know Eddie O'Sullivan as well and that's the sort of person that the players uh, would want to see in place so yeah, there's going to be huge change but I, within within that structure 
um, difficult to know. There's no point making the wrong decision and appointing the wrong person, and that's probably what they'll say they'll, they'll hung off, they've hung off for. But uh, I think there's a lot of uh, rugby left in this championship to make other decisions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Connor, before we let you go, I must just ask you something that um, every previous international on this programme has said, well, one so far, because we've only had one week. Uh, Steve Thompson, <laughs> the former England World Cup winning hooker, who was telling us about the initiation rites that England players have to go through, and basically they have to sing a song of their choice, and I think there's something to do with alcohol in the after-match after party as well, but he didn't go into that in too much detail. Is there an initiation ceremony when you win your first cap in Ireland? It is exactly the same, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and it was exactly the same for Mr. Butler as well, I'm sure, in his time. And the, 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 mo- the most frightening part is the singing, because you have to do it sober at the front of a bus on the way to a training session, and that's not the easiest. What did you pick? Uh, I, I went, I'm, I'm very easy, Billy Joel, Piano Man. Did you? Yeah. Did you know all the words? Course. What a superb, <laughs> superb song. Congratulations. It'll never die. Long live the music. Congratulations, Connor. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care, Ian. See, see you guys. Bye. What, what, was your, what was your song, Eddie Butler? I can't, you know, Ian, I Oh, can't, come on. I, no, seriously, I can't remember. I can't remember having to sing a song. Really? No. <laughs> Did you not get chased around the, uh, by you know, the more experienced pack? You know, with uh, goodness knows what to do something to you. Well, my first my first game was uh, was France, mm-hmm. and it was a bloodbath. Oh. Uh, so, I <laughs> where was it in in Cardiff? Oh. You remember the Paul Ringer game when Paul Ringer got yes, sent off? Yes, I do. It was the game before that. It was the one where Jean Pierre Yves ended up with blood. Well, he was yes. blonde and he turned red. Yes, he became a redhead. It was that game. It was it was so much going on. I think we were all I think we were all beyond singing after that particular game. Who won? <laughs> Oh, we did, actually. Well done. Six Nations Rugby from guardian.co.uk OK, let's move on. Um, Italy against England. Which team is going to turn up in Rome on Sunday? First half England or second half England? Although Brian Ashton called it, what was it, six minutes of madness, I think he called it. But then that's what Steve McLaren said about the England team in Russia as well. He's Mm. kept faith with Johnny Wilkinson after his hospital pass at the weekend. But the team is plagued by injuries. He's made all sorts of changes, most of them enforced. First of all, is he right to stick with Wilkinson? Claire? Yes. Andy? Yes. Eddie? Yes. That's very easy. This is a very, very <laughs> simple programme. Anyone could do. We've got a monkey to present it he next week. <laughs> he can't change him, though, can he? Look at all the other injuries. You can't suddenly turn around and take fulcrum of the team out like that and um, put Danny Gibriani in. You just can't. You can't do it, not in that situation. He needs a good win, and he needs Wilkinson there. Even if Wilkinson didn't... You can argue that Wilkinson had a poor second half, mm. that what everyone's been saying about the fact that everything else was falling apart around him, you're not going to look good in that position under those circumstances. And I think it's a bit. Um, he got a bit unfairly... He wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he got a bit unfairly kind of highlighted. Has, has anyone else noticed, or is it just me, that, that Johnny Wilkinson's interviews now are becoming very introspective and al- almost um, psychological and uh, the, way, um, the way he looks at himself, the way he, he, he almost pulls himself apart, almost spiritual, or is that, is that just me? Did you no, hear I his think... interview yesterday? It was... But well, that goes strange. back to the 2003 World Cup, where, if you remember, he sort of went through this that, kind of... Before that. There you go. But you remember that sort of very public personality crisis he had during that tournament, where for a long time he was disappearing into rucks. We didn't see much of him on the ball or as a mm. playmaker at mm. all. Mm. And again, he was kind of burying his soul in public. But as Eddie says, it's a personality trait that he's had for a long time. Yeah, he, sa- he says actually... 
when he, he's such a perfectionist that it actually makes him ill, Eddie, because he, he looks at he looks at games and he just goes, "Oh, that was such an awful pass," or "Oh, that was such an awful kick." You wonder why he plays sometimes. Yeah, you do. You ought to just go on a big <laughs> holiday. Yeah, a big holiday or a big beer holiday, holiday. And, and, and just bury himself in some good wine and yeah. good company for a time. He's a very strange character. Have a, have a wine bath. Bonkers. You need he... one <laughs> Absolutely barking. Is he barking? Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. He's just, you know, no, nobody should take sport that seriously. For heaven's sake. <laughs> Quite right. Johnny Wilkinson, mad as a hat stand and a bag of frogs. I do, I, I do agree with Claire, though. I mean, the whole point about Dan Parks, Johnny Wilkinson, uh, you know, François Trinduc, everything that a fly half does is governed by the forwards. You know, you can't, you can't heap the blame on Wilkinson. What, what unraveled for England was the forward performance. They simply let Wales back into the game up front. Wales suddenly had a platform. The game gets loose, and there's only one winner then. If you, it, 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 Wales do loose rugby very well, and England don't. Mm-hmm. Who's the maddest player you've ever known, Eddie? Oh, God. <laughs> How I'm, long is that? I mean, that you've, got one in, you've, got, you've, got, you've got Brian Moore in the commentary yeah, box. Maybe he's the, the, edge you, of the, position, the position would be easy. It would be a hooker. Would it? Oh, <laughs> I mean, you imagine they're just hanging between two props, and, you know, in the old days, they had no defence mechanism. All they could do was either bite somebody or kick somebody, <laughs> and they did, and, and, and they were absolutely bonkers, and I'd just give you, you know, just the position. Anybody that's ever played hooker <laughs> is, it just qualifies. Yeah. You know, Johnny Wilkinson is actually a beacon of sanity compared <laughs> with some of the front row forwards I've come across. Quite right. <laughs> Uh, just look at the ears. Um, is leadership a problem with this England team? How much of a blow are these injuries? Easter is back. Do blog us with anything that you've got to say about the England team or indeed the the Italian team. Let's, let's talk about the Italian team because we, we seem obsessed with England. Um, is, is there a sign, Andy, that this Italian team is getting to grips with the Six Nations? It's, it's coming slowly, isn't it? Well, it's been coming slowly for about the last seven years, mm. though, hasn't it? Is it so... too slow? Well, considering it's taken seven years, you could probably say yes. Yes, okay. I mean, again, it's going to come down to uh, how Muzzy gets on at fly half, and imagine how that half-back combination works, given a more thorough test than the one that Ireland gave them. Yes, and Nick Mallett's her coach, is that right, you think? I believe yeah, so, South yeah. African. I mean, to so be honest, I was actually he'll... eating a roast beef lunch at the time the game was happening, so <laughs> I didn't see beef. that much of it. You know. um, uh, Ian, I, I, I don't think we should believe a word Nick Mallett says about, oh, we, have, we lost by 40 points if we'd be playing against a half-decent side. I bet you he was delighted with Italy in Dublin. Yeah. I thought they were terrific. I thought they were competitive. I thought the forwards fronted up as we expect them to do. I thought Marzi proved himself to be the outstanding tackling outside half of the modern game. You never mind about him being a natural 10. He tackled like the centre he is. I think Italy will be furious opposition for England. Just I think England will win, but I think Italy have, uh, were really good in Dublin. I don't, I don't know what all the problem. I don't believe a word a coach says in the middle of a championship. Do you believe they're improving and they're worth their place? Absolutely. It took France 50 years to win the Five Nations. 50 years. It's nothing to do with the fact that it's a nice jolly out in Rome, is it? I mean, you wouldn't fancy it in Bucharest, but Rome would be lovely. <laughs> Yeah, I could, go to, I could go to Madrid and Barcelona to watch Argentina play as well. <laughs> yes, that would be a good idea. So, uh, let's go around the table. Who do we think will win? Italy against England. Uh, Andy? Uh, England, but it'll be very close. Claire? Mm-hmm. Um, England by about 20 points. Eddie? Uh, England with a reverse of the halves. There'll be dreadful first half and good second half. Mm-hmm. OK, excellent. Right, the blogs. Um, the blogs are basically you telling us what you think by going to blogs... 
www.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. And I'm afraid the Bolshaw Lucy debate rages on. We've tried to ignore it, but we can't. Uh, this is from Hybrid Anglo. Every single blogger has got this strange alien name. This is from Hybrid Anglo. I don't know why he can't be called Bob. Josh Lucy, for my money, he's been decidedly average this year, missing more tackles than I'd like, demonstrating a consistent inability to pick a gap coupled with an apparent determination to find contact at the earliest opportunity. Nowhere near the player of yore, but then his supporters are just as one-eyed as then their supporters. Ashton seems to be about Bolshaw. I'm not excusing the Bolshaw selection, but the pristine-shirted one has looked better for his club than Lucy of late. Uh, this is Chuck uh, from Birmingham, don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, am I right in thinking that Ashton dropped Lucy last season too before recalling him? Uh, it's obviously a personality thing. When Gloucester played Wasps a few weeks ago, Lucy looked the most dangerous player on the field. Bullshaw, meanwhile, messed up two golden opportunities to kill the game. Gold, he says. And I'm a Gloucester supporter too. Really must wash my mouth out with soap for defending a Wasps player. And Johnny Wilkinson does not escape the bloggers mauling. This is from Bentos1. Uh, Wilkinson, still class, question mark? Really, question mark? If he'd come on the scene post-2003 and showed the form he's been showing since he finally returned to fitness, would he even be in the squad? His drop goaling is still probably the best in the business, but England shouldn't build their game around scoring drop goals. It's time to move on. Andy Bull is our uh, expert blogger. Uh, what's coming up on the blogs in the next few days? What can we expect from you and your, um, what do we call them, listeners? Not really. Bloggers? Bloggers. Yeah. Bloggers. What do we expect from you and your bloggers? Uh, well, tomorrow we're doing a rundown of the six best individual performances ever in the history of the tournament. Mm. So that's going back over the last, well, to about 1903 is our first. Oh. Um, <laughs> if Many... anyone can guess the six on the blog for this podcast, I'll be very, very impressed indeed and may even volunteer to Who's do some sort of full Johnny Wilkinson against Scotland last year. Oh, uh, there's Eddie's nomination. Eddie, you're going to have to wait on tenterhooks till tomorrow to see if you've so got it's that the one right. So hold on, so it's the six... <laughs> That was my last word on the Wilkinson debate. The six, <laughs> the six best individual performances in the six nations or just in rugby? The entire, the five and six nations. Really? Yeah. Prince Obolensky. No, he doesn't make the Ugh. <laughs> Let's go back to 1906. I thought it was bound to be someone very, very old and in the past. Or Andy Ripley? No, no. sadly not Andy okay. Ripley. Okay, right. Let's concentrate on Wales against Scotland. Um, how will the triumph over England affect the Welsh in the uh, first match of this weekend? What of Scotland, of whom the pundits here expected so much against France? Uh, delighted to say we're joined by a former Scotland international, the lock, Doddy Weir. How are you, Doddy? Very well, thank you. Good. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, are you filled with hope or despair going into this game? Yeah, I think we've got to have a bit of hope, but also there could be quite a lot of despair as well because, unfortunately, the, the national team let themselves down at the weekend, but in saving grace, the French were quite exciting. So that was one, one nice way to put it. But what made up at the weekend is Wales having a fantastic uh, victory over the old enemy, which was always very nice for the job. It's unbelievable, see. isn't it? You're, why can't you just concentrate on Scott? Why do you always <laughs> have to have a go at England? It wasn't your match, for God's sake. <laughs> Yeah, but the beauty of having the Six Nations in two two days is we can concentrate on how well the English do. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, how do you think you'll get on against uh, Wales? Do you think Wales' uh, victory over England, Doddy, was a, was a flash in the pan, or are they building something with Sean Edwards and Warren Gatland? I think they're building something. You can see that in the confidence, the way they played. In, in previous years, they might have given up, but they kept on going. They harassed the English. 
and with a new management, I think it's got a new belief within the team, which is a worry for the Scots at the moment, because anyone enjoys playing England, but to, to come out on top, especially at Twickenham, because that was the first time, I think, over 20 years since they've done that, brings a bit of confidence to their game, and um, at the moment we can see that where the Scots, in the last number of years since Frank Haddon, when Frank Haddon came in, things went according to plan. We did have a, a fortunate victory over the Welsh last year in the Six Nations, so with that the Scots will have a little bit of belief, but I, I, I think that the, the Welsh are on the high just now and, and Scots have got a number of injuries and a number of issues at the moment. Um, Eddie, it, it's always the slight danger in Wales that people get carried away after one victory. <laughs> slight danger. Is it, is it happening again? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. You know, uh, Calm them down. Give, give us some reality. Well, I think, I think Wales will win, but it'll be a real scramble because, A, Scotland cannot be so bad again. Uh, and B, that you know, Wales, Wales were lucky at Twickenham. It has to be, you know, whatever, whatever they did, and they were fantastic at sticking in there and, and finishing off England when they had the chance and actually being in control of the last five minutes of the game. Whatever ha- else happened, they were let off by England, and, and, and I can't see that happening again. So they've got to forge it for themselves, and I, and I just wonder, you know, as, as Warren Gatlin keeps on saying, it'll take two years. So here we go in two matches, expecting Wales to be, you know, in the fast lane, purring. And I just don't think it can happen. But they, they will have gained a huge amount from that, from that victory over England. And in a hysterical nation, the, um, the, the, the mental state does count and Wales will be on a high. So I, I think it will be enough in the end. Do you know what one of my favourite moments from um, the weekend game, Eddie, was listening to um, the commentary and when Wales turned the ball over for about sixth time in the first half and you, you let out this almighty groan and it just kind of summed up to me the first half and just about how much they kind of shot themselves in the foot. And I wonder if, it, if Scotland can not play as, as poorly as they did and you're right, I can't see them playing like that again. You just wonder whether, you know, in terms of how the Wales pack front up to them, whether, they, you know... The, they can get the ball out to their backs, play the sort of game that they want to play. I know. I, I wish I felt a, a, a lot more confident. I, I really do. I have, I've started to have sort of grave doubts about all this. <laughs> You're a fan. When fans support teams, they always think they're going to lose no matter what. Here's a good quote from Tom Shanklin, who was talking about the, uh, the Gatland-Edwards coaching team. He said, they don't beat around the bush. I've not had someone screaming in my face telling you as it is. It might offend some people, but they said they're not trying to offend or pick on people. They're trying to help. That's their coaching style. It's great. They're probably trying to make us feel they take no prisoners off the field. So we should take none on it. Eddie, did they not do that before? Did no coach ball people out? It seems to be working, this, this, uh, this one. No, I think I, I think this 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 um, the whole term player power. I think it did exist, if only in that the senior players dictated how Wales would train. You know that uh, let's do some contact work in training at the World Cup. Senior players, no, the boys are a bit sore, a bit this, a bit that, and don't really feel like it. Oh, all right, we won't do any contact work. Live scrummaging, oh, boys are a bit sore. Don't think we'll do any live scrummaging. Oh, okay, uh, I think Gatland and Edwards have shot straight through that. If you don't want to do any live scrummaging, get out the squad. 
And I think you see that as well, don't you, in the fact that he's, even despite the fact that they won, he's dropped Mark Jones, he's, you know, Alex Popham's completely out of the 22 because they said, well, you should have given a yellow card away. It's almost, you know, how everyone's talking about how Capello was not naming his um, England team until right before kickoff. It's almost, you know, the same sort of thing. It's like going, you know, everyone's got a clean slate, no one's in the team unless you play to the standards that we Absolutely. expect. We don't, do, we don't normally do blunt in Wales, no. but I think it's fair to say that the players know where they stand. Absolutely. Just ask football's Michael Owen. Um, Doddy Weir, what about um, Chris Patterson? Why was he left out in the first match? Why is he back now? Well, he's back, I think, unfortunately due to injury because uh, Rory Lamont's injured, so that's why there's a vacancy for him there. But also, when he came on, the game turned a little bit. But by then, the French were in command, they were in the lead, and it was a running rugby which Chris enjoys playing. Tactically, if it was a kicking match, Dan Parks would be in because Chris's kicking lets him down. So it's how Frank Haddon sees it. I think he had no option. We need Chris in to possibly... And it's maybe a way we can get to the to the Welsh is sneak some penalties. And if you get a penalty, get a chance to get kick them over. Every point counts, as they say. And with Chris Patterson, probably one of the world's best kickers at the moment, percentage-wise, um, we need him. So we need to, to get every point. But just going back to your coaching, I think in, in the past it, it's interesting what you say because Jim Telfer was a similar sort of person to Warren Gatland. He took no prisoners and uh, he certainly, discipline was important. And I think when you have it off the field, you have it on the field. No one would dare to tell him, I don't want to train today. Mm. And I think that's when some of the results were going. And I think George Graham's doing that at the moment, possibly. But we could do with a little bit more of it happening. Yes, I was I was reading uh, Lawrence Delalio's book, and he was talking about when the Lions were in South Africa. And you had the sort of soft cop, hard cop approach from Ian McGeegan, who was sort of a soft cop, and Jim Telfer, who was definitely the hard cop. And uh, you weren't sure what sort of mood they were going to be in, but you knew it was going to be pretty tough if Jim Telfer was taking the uh, the, the, the session. Um, Doddy, just as a final point, we've um, asked all our former uh, internationals what they did uh, for their initiation. Can you remember your first match and what you had to do afterwards? Yeah, yes. Um, the things have changed a bit since then because right. I don't think they're allowed to drink as much now. <laughs> but the, the initiation was was obviously the singing that when you get your first cap was singing in front of the bus. What did you sing? Well, I'm not a very good singer, so it was. Um, Majority has a pigeon. It's a sort of Newcastle thing, and what have you. I'm not very good. Majority has a pigeon. A pigeon, a pigeon. It flies in the morning, it flies in the night, and when it comes home, it's covered in. Well, anyway, it's <laughs> uh, the only verse I could really remember. Very good. And also at the dinner, it was customary to get as drunk as one could, and uh, I excelled at that over a number of years. Right now, but, uh, yeah. Lawrence <laughs> Delalio said everybody in the in the team has to buy you a drink, so they. They were filling it up with goodness knows, you know, obscure liqueurs. I think he called them. Um, so uh, everyone had their way, and he just um, he doesn't. Rem- I think after about four drinks, he didn't remember anything after that. Much the same as you, yeah. Yeah, it was. But it's amazing how you learn because Neil Back, I think, got his, his cap against uh, Scotland, and uh, I was sitting next to him, and um, I poured them a big red wine glass, and at the same time, I had a red wine, but in a, a white wine glass, so it was a small glass, and gave him two of them. And he didn't realise the different sizes and glasses. 
uh, and also a couple of gin and tonics. I had a single tonic, and he had a triple gin and tonic. <laughs> a couple of them, and he thought I was man mountain, but he didn't realise that I wasn't drinking anything. But it's, it's how you learn if you're it's the old boys like Mr. Butler there. The hard men, the hard men. What happened to back? Was he all right, or did he just fall mm. over? He fell over. He had to be carried out eventually. So we, we won off the field, but we didn't win in the field. <laughs> right, uh, just a final point from you, Doddy. Um, prediction for Wales against Scotland. What do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Well, uh, I really hope it's what Eddie said. I hope it's going to be close. I hope it's going to be entertaining. And I think the Welsh, with their confidence, is probably, unfortunately, going to score more points than Scotland. Terrific. Thanks for joining us, Doddy. No problem. Eddie Butler, what do you think? Wales, Scotland? Wales. Oh, he said that with mm. such. See, there's that ground yeah, again. Yeah, no, 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 I don't feel. I don't feel. I don't feel comfortable. Don't you? Say, uh, no, no. Wales. Wales. Okay. When Wales. will you feel comfortable? When we're twenty-five points up against France with ten seconds to go. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And the Grand Slam is still on. I've heard people talking about the Grand Slam is on already in Wales. It's unbelievable. Um, Andy, what do you feel is going to happen in Wales against Scotland? Uh, Scotland, I said before the tournament, I thought theirs could go either way. And it looks to me now like they're a sinking ship, to be honest, after the last week. We say they can't be so bad again, but actually I think they probably can. And they mm. might well be. So I'm going to take Wales by sort of 15, 20 points. OK. Claire? Um, Wales by mm, five, maybe. Really? Is that, yeah. Will you be commentating on the Wales game, Eddie? No, no. I'm going to do. I'm going to do Italy, England. Are you? On the I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing Wales, uh, Scotland for the paper, the Observer, yeah. and then I'm going out that night to Rome. Do you find it difficult sometimes commentating on Wales, or can you be totally objective? Uh, I suppose though, yeah, it is a bit tricky, really, because you, you you find them want you you, they, you want them to do things. Mm. As, as Claire said, I think a groan can escape. Yeah. Especially if it's if it's Wales England and you're working with Brian Moore. Well, no, that's easy then. At least you've got a counterbalance. <laughs> yes, you see, and that's that's easy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. We'll keep up the good work. We all enjoy it, and um, speak to you next time, Eddie. Cheers, Ian. Thanks, thanks a lot. Okay. That's uh, Eddie Butler, and um, my thanks to all our guests today. The Observer's Rugby Union correspondent Eddie Butler, there you heard the uh, Guardian's Claire Tolley. Thanks, Claire, and uh, Andy Bull from Guardian Unlimited. Do keep your uh, Blogs going, of course. We love to hear from you wherever you are. Uh, and you can get in touch with blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. Tell us what you think, as long as it's to do with the Six Nations. Our Six Nations show will be back on Monday when we will know if England and Wales, for that matter, can actually play for more than 40 minutes of the match, whether the Irish can finally up their game against some French flair and whether Scotland are wending their way towards the wooden spoon. We'll speak again after the weekend. This is Ian Payne saying thanks for listening. Goodbye. Six Nations Rugby from guardian.co.uk.